For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Believe in Steelers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Week 15 of the NFL season is in the books. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined as always by two-time Super Bowl champion and 12-year veteran of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ike Taylor. Mark, good morning. How you doing? Ike, good morning. We're recording this on Tuesday morning. And before we break down the Steelers' 17-10 loss to the Buffalo Bills, Ike, we now have advertisements on the believe in Steelers podcast so yeah we're moving up in the world <laughs> people are starting to tune in so that's a plus mark let's talk about sleep listen to these studies from Harvard and Johns Hopkins chronic sleep deprivation is shown to lead to depression diabetes obesity and cardiovascular disease we need eight hours of sleep something I learned during my studies at the University of Missouri I took a sleep psychology class actually oh, wow. but one of sleep's biggest problems is temperature. Tough to get good sleep if you're too hot. I want to tell you about the Pod by 8 Sleep. The Pod by 8 Sleep is a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. It was developed by leading researchers after tracking 43 million hours of sleep. It combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to help to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperature automatically. That means if you like the bed cool, your partner likes the bed warm, now you can have both at the same time in a crazy comfortable bed. Sleep longer and deeper so you wake up refreshed and ready to take on the world. Try the pod for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, we'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup. They already sold out their first two batches, so they're going fast. For a limited time, get $150 off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash pro, E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash pro. One more time, 8sleep.com slash pro. Ike, on today's show, we'll have listener questions, and on Taylor Talk, we're going to talk about some of the top Christmas movies, but we'll start where we always do the big takeaway from Sunday night's game. The big takeaway was Duck Hodges, pretty much throwing ducks. Um, I mean, when you get into those kind of games, and not to disrespect Duck, but, you know, he's 3-1 and one right now, which isn't a bad record to start off his first quarter of his football career. But at the same time, you know, just some of the passes were fourth-string passes, I would want to say, and you kind of see why. Because the defense played well enough for the offense to win the ball game, when you just give it up 17 points, you know, that's pretty impressive and it's hard to do in the National Football League. But throwing four interceptions is putting your team in a bind. And with saying that, throwing them four picks, you still had an opportunity to win a ball game. So, I mean, it's just time and, and, and reps and so far so good. Duck has been making the best of his reps and reputation as far as being a Pittsburgh still or just an NFL quarterback. But at the same time, you know, coming from a small school, the stage hasn't been too big for him. But then again, you just kind of 
you got to second guess it. Uh, was Sunday night too big for him? You know, when we talk about these primetime games, and especially being close to home, his first one was in L.A. So it was a primetime game, but it's in L.A. You know, it can be a little different. You know, fans and your family can't really get to L.A. because the flights in that hotel room kind of expensive. But if you're coming from the East Coast, it's not too much, too big of a difference going to Pittsburgh. So, I mean, he had a, he had a bad game, and sometimes the games be like that. Just looking at his body language, uh, you can just tell he's going to bounce back. That's just him. He understands he had a bad game. But four picks and losing that ball game is it's kind of hard at the time. What I thought Duck did well between the first three games, what he didn't do against the Buffalo Bills that night was run the ball. You know, I felt like he had a few opportunities in some running lanes to step up and run, and that's what he's been doing well. You know, he hasn't really been trying to sit in the pocket unless he really have to. But if he felt pressed or pressured, he ran the ball. And last game, I don't think he ran the ball enough to pick up third and shorts or first downs. Ike, I know you love your analogies, and we've said this on the Believe in Steelers podcast before, to where a backup quarterback coming into the game is almost like a sixth man off the bench in basketball. I'm going to make an, mm-hmm. another analogy for you here. Duck Hodges, Mason Rudolph, there's times they've performed admirably this season, but long-term big picture, we've seen a big enough sample size with both of them. This was Hodges' fourth career start. Rudolph made eight starts before this. The Steelers quarterback situation, it's almost like you're trying to jump a car that needs its battery replaced. It reaches a certain point where you just have to replace the battery outright. And I can't help but wonder when you see these primetime games and they show shots of Ben Roethlisberger on the sidelines, what this team would be like if Roethlisberger were in the game at quarterback. I don't know. You know, I mean... We're going off of, you know, if we're going off of Big Ben legacy and what he has done to the organization, there hasn't been so far other than, you know, the legends, the Bradshaws. Other than that, like, Big Ben is that guy. He's the Pittsburgh Steelers. But to say on the flip side, Mark, they still haven't been very impressive in the playoffs when he is there when he is at full strength with his receivers and his running game. So, yeah, I mean, by name, you know, his resume, and it's a Hall of Fame resume, but of late, other than the stats and the statistics, you know, the games really haven't been, the record really haven't been too impressive. So we can say what if, but the times he was in there, you know, what was really going on? Sometimes it's just good to move on. And right now with all the guys being hurt, it's kind of blessed in disguise that, you know, right now he's kind of out because there's no telling what would go on if he was on the field and dealing with a lot of young guys. So at least you're getting reps with your second string quarterback. And before the season started, your fourth string quarterback and Duck Hodges game reps and dealing in in camaraderie with the young receivers, you know, and the relationship Duck is getting with the young receivers in the offensive line, in the running game, and just getting familiar with each other. So I really don't know if they would have had Big Ben in the lineup, what the record would be. I don't, I don't know if it would be a plus or a minus, just basing it off 
of what was going on in the past two years, so to say, at full strength, if you know what I'm saying. So I don't know, but at the same time, I understand your analogy. You know, the battery needs to be replaced and we keep charging it. But just looking at Duck and his confidence, I don't think this will rattle him. Pittsburgh has two more games, and we're going to talk about this whenever you bring a topic up. Pittsburgh has two more games, and they should be favorites, so we'll see. They are a three-point favorite next week over the Jets. The next two games will be on the road as well. I'll say this about Hodges, too. His four interceptions, the Steelers turned it over five times. It's hard to win a football game when that happens. But at the same time, I don't really mind the last two interceptions because at least he gave his receiver an opportunity to try to catch the ball. I see a lot of times in that scenario where at the end of the game, a quarterback will just bomb it and throw it out of the end zone, and the receiver has no chance to try to catch the ball. I think the natural question is, though, and I'm already seeing some of this online and on Twitter, and some of it comes from fans, some of it does come from media members, but you have to wonder at what point would you then maybe go back to Mason Rudolph from Hodges? That's going to be the natural question that fans have. I'm not doing that. If I'm the coach, I'm definitely not doing that. I still got life with these two games, and I like myself going into these two games with Duck Hodges. You know, just he he's in the rhythm. The man is 3-1 right now, so he knows exactly what I'm looking for as a staff, even though he did have a bad game. And what I'm looking for as a staff is manage the game. Let's try not to have all these turnovers. And, and don't forget, yeah, he did have four interceptions two of them was jump ball so the guys on defense kind of made that 50 50 ball play which you're supposed to look for but at the same time they were still in the game you know it was 17 10 they still had life they still had opportunity to win that game i'm sticking with duck um, i think what i've said now duck gets going back until monday i'm sure he's looking at the feeling but like okay i do see the open lanes instead of just trying to force the ball in there I can go in on a run for a first down and make it third and short. And I think you have to give some credit to Buffalo. The Bills' first 10-win season since 1999. They're in the playoffs again. And this is a Bills team that hung tough with Baltimore earlier this season. This is a Bills team that hung tough with the New England Patriots earlier this season. Ike, maybe I hadn't watched enough of the Bills. This is a team that you told us to watch for, a team that runs the ball, and a team that plays effective defense. Tredavious White, the corner, he's as good as any in the league. And I'll say this, it looked like at one point he had the pick six going down the sidelines, but credit Steelers offensive tackle, I think it's Matt Feeler, for running White down because it looked like it was he was just going to coast for a touchdown. It saved Pittsburgh four points in this game. And like you said, even despite Hodges' four interceptions, Steelers five turnovers in this game they still had an opportunity to either tie it or win it even at the very end say you score a touchdown and Tomlin decides to go for two the Steelers were still in it even despite their struggles offensively that being said big picture long term these next two games whether or not this team gets in the playoffs it's about a coin flip right now they've got to outpace the Tennessee Titans but you've got to get more production out of the offense you've got to score more than 10 points in a game, and that just didn't happen on Sunday night. Buffalo, though, certainly playing for a lot on Sunday night, and the Bills are now in the playoffs for the second time 
in three seasons? The play of the game to me was that tackle by Feeler, the Steelers' offensive line. So that's, and that's giving credit to Coach Tomlin. And the reason why I'm going to give credit to Coach Tomlin on that because it's easy to lay down. It's easy mentally to lay down. And what I mean by laying down is not giving effort or hustle or for offense alignment to be like, well, that's a cornerback. He has momentum. I don't think I can catch him. But to see Fila hustle his butt off, stop a cornerback from actually making a touchdown, that says a lot about, one, himself and his pride and what he wants to put on tape because your tape is your walking, talking, breathing resume. Two, to that coaching staff and how they coach their players never give up on a play. Now, as for Buffalo, and we talked about Buffalo earlier in the year, and I was just liking Buffalo since last year because it's ugly with stats, meaning they, they stats on the offensive side ain't going to wow you. You're not going to talk about them when it comes down to fantasy teams or points, but throughout the whole course of the season, they got the playoff blueprint. And what's the playoff blueprint? It's running the ball, controlling the clock, playing good defense. And they've been doing that the entire year. That's why these teams they playing who are high power or associate high power with the New England Patriots or the high flying Lamar Jacksons and the Ravens putting up points. The Bills are able to slow the pace down. You know, now you got a little singletary, a little running back. You know, he's in front of Frank Gore right now. You see why the man was averaging four five point one yards per carry. I think now it's down down to like 4.9. So you got a guy who can stuff it up the middle and Singletary, but he, he can also bounce, man, he can come out of the backfield. You got a chain mover in Frank Gore. <laughs> Prehistoric, Flintstone, Frank Gore. And <laughs> to have that kind of backfield, you're still looking at, you know, Josh Allen, he's still a, a big guy, 6'5", 240-something, who can run and very athletic. Then you got Brown, he's coming of age at your young wide receiver position. So you have weapons. You're not asking them to do a lot. You're just asking them to help out. They're coming to their own when the time is right. But since last year, we've been talking about the Buffalo Bills defense, and they've been consistent for now two years straight. And a lot of their defensive players are young, too. To me, it almost shows and signals a changing of the guard their division has been dominated by the New England Patriots for so long. And I don't want to take away too much from one game, but just how the Bills have played overall in the season. And like I said earlier, they played both New England and the Ravens within a one-score game. I don't want to call this too soon because I'm never going to call count. it. If you, if you feel good about it, call it, Mark. If you feel good about it, call it. I think you could see a bit of a changing of the guard I, I think Buffalo, I think they have a limited ceiling in terms of how far they can go in the playoffs. I was really, really impressed because with that defense, you can play with anybody. And again, I go back to a lot of their defenders are young. I'm looking at Tredavious White, that second interception that he had. Ike, I did want to ask you about this. I believe it was in the third quarter, it was his second pick where Hodges was throwing from the other side of the hash. I understand the hash marks aren't as wide as they are at the college level, but was it a mistake for Hodges to even throw that pass? I just kind of wanted to get your takeaway 
as a corner in the league for 12 years. No, nah, but that's when you're looking at quarterbacks, them one of the balls you look at when you're drafting a quarterback. Can he throw from one hash to the sideline? Because that's one of the furthest balls a quarterback have to throw. And it's a dangerous ball. So Josh Allen made that throw a few times in the game. So you, you, you see the arm talent. And it's the accuracy when you're looking at a kid that you want to draft. It's the accuracy. And what I mean by accuracy is the, it's the mid-range short ball accuracy because a, a lot of guys they throw every ball hard you know they don't have a touch they can't finesse some of it so deep ball accuracy is something you look at but the main thing you look at is from one hash to the other sideline and that's one of the hardest balls to throw because technically it probably goes further in distance you know if you're throwing the deep ball you're just throwing it downfield. That's north and south. You throwing it from one hash to the other sideline, man, you're damn near going east and west. And these guys are traveling north and south. So you have to have a strong arm. So that's one of the check marks if you're drafting a quarterback that you really look at. Can this guy throw this ball? And Duck threw a nice ball. I thought it was a nice ball. It was just, you know, White sat and he understood. He trusted his eyes. And what I saw with White two nights ago was something that is getting rare and extinct as a cornerback in the NFL, and that's backpedaling. Everybody wants to open up, shuffle, shuffle, and go. And when you open up, shuffle, shuffle, and go, you're only really covering a few routes. You're just covering a five-yard hitch and the go route. Every other route by wide receiver, you will be late getting to. When you backpedal, which is a lost art, I think, you're able to cover every route because you're using one of the most powerful muscles in your body, that's your quads. You know, when you're opening up and when you shuffle, shuffle and slide with this technique, I don't know why, you're using your growing muscles. Ain't nothing strong about your growing muscles. You're going to use your quads. You're going to open up. You're going to flip your hips, and you're going to push. You're going to drive off. So I'm glad you brought this up. When I saw this, when I saw him backpedaling for the majority of the game, I'm like, man, it's definitely a lost art. But it puts you closer to every. So even though that was a good throw by Duck, it needed to be a great throw. But the reason why... White was able to pick it off was because he was backpedaling. If he would have opened up, shuffle, shuffle, slide, he would have made the tackle, not had the interception. And so why have corners, why have they gone away from that technique, whether that's how it's taught or that's what is actually executed on the field? Coaches. Coaches, you got a, you got a lot of coaches. One really never played corner. Two, they trying to change what the generation as far as like letting, they want the corners to see everything now, meaning there's really no more man-to-man coverage unless you're Gilmore and White showed a good job, Jalen Ramsey, unless you're a few of those guys who can lock up and play man-to-man. Defense coordinators now want their corners to see the ball thrown, you know, which is, which is good. But 
heck, we played a few defenses that even on man coverage for the majority, I was still able to backpedal from an outside leverage to see the ball thrown. So it's just a lost art, but the more these defensive coordinators or cornerback coaches, the more they can get back to that, I guarantee you the more picks you will see, the more comfortable these cornerbacks will be playing man or zone. Because now when you're just shuffle, shuffle, and sliding, you're really a zone corner. If I ask you to play man, and we saw this last night, if anybody watched the Colts in the Saints game, you know, over there they like to play a lot of cover too, and that's zone coverage with the Colts. When you ask them to play man, it's a lot of holding the penalties, which they did last night. So we're getting back to just that back cover, man. It's, it's a lost art, and it's majority because of the coaching. Gotcha. I'm happy you mentioned Stephon Gilmore with the Patriots. Right now, I think he'd probably be my defensive player of the year. And behind that, I'd probably put Minka Fitzpatrick. And then TJ Watt. I said this on last week's show. I'm more confident this week. I'm going to go out ahead and say this, and I'm going to keep repeating this until people actually listen. In terms of on-field production, TJ Watt has surpassed his brother, JJ Watt. The main reason is because he's played in the actual games. J.J. Watt of the Texans has had several injuries. Mm -hmm. T.J. Watt, again, making an impact in this game. He's now the first player in Steelers history with multiple 13-sack seasons. He had a crucial forced fumble to stop a Buffalo drive. He is everywhere for the Steelers. He's also the leading vote-getter for the outside linebacker position for the AFC for the Pro Bowl in terms of the fan vote. He is, when his rookie contract is up, Ike, this man is going to get paid. He's been absolutely remarkable for the Steelers this season. No, he's going to break the bank. And he should. I mean, he's going to do more than break the bank. The bank just going to hand him a lot of money. He ain't even going to get, get the Brinks <laughs> truck. No, it's going to be more than the Brinks truck, man. It's, it's going to be one of those Panama, Panama banks. Down there in the island, man, put however much you need. Man, Going offshore. Yeah. Going offshore. We, we got you. And, you know, deservingly, does he need that. He deserves it. Uh, if you just look at his stats and his, and, his, and his brother's stats, when his brother won defensive player of the year, they, they similar. But really, you know, TJ's beating them in interceptions and I think one more other category when it comes down to it. But to get back, to that, that's what Pittsburgh missed the last game against Buffalo. I think they only had a sack that game. So, and we're used to turnovers and maybe scoring on defense or getting two or three sacks. And that's what Pittsburgh missed Sunday night was, you know, an actual sack or two here. And the reason why I'm saying that, because that draws down on field position. Usually when you get a sack, it's between five and seven yards. You get two sacks in one series. Heck, that's a holding penalty, so say, for the offense. Now you push them back. Now you got a punter who's 15 yards back, and you add 10 more yards to the two sacks. Now we swap in field positions, if you get what I'm saying. So I think that's what they kind of miss. It doesn't necessarily have to be a turnover. Just guys getting sacks. Oh, you're swapping field size, them five and five and five-yard sacks. Them sacks start to add up when you want to talk about field position, Mark. 
Yeah, and that was something that was surprising with Allen because they mentioned this on the Sunday Night Football broadcast that they looked at the next-gen stats. Uh-huh. He held the ball longer than any quarterback in the league in terms of how long he holds the ball when he drops back to pass. And so when I heard that, I was like, wow, Pittsburgh's going to have a field day with this guy if he doesn't make his decisions quickly, if he's not decisive. And that just didn't really happen. Again, only one sack against him during Sunday's game. But that was surprising to me considering how he held the ball for so long going into Sunday night football. So, I mean, and you know, those guys at that level, Mark, they got to do their homework. So you best believe somebody on the analytic side of Buffalo was looking at how many sacks the Pittsburgh Steelers have and how long does our quarterback hold the ball and brought that to the coaching staff. So as a coaching staff, I'm not going to tell my player who's been putting us in playoff situations how to play at this time. So what I'm going to do as an offense coordinator, all my, all my calls, if I want to pass, are going to be quick calls. One, two, three, quick. One, two, three, quick. And if I want a deep ball or two, I'm going to bring a fullback or a tight end, an extra tight end to help block Max Protect. So say. So you best believe they was looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers and their resume and they leading the league on sacks. How long Josh Allen used to hold the ball, and that's the longest in the league. Bring that to the coaching staff. Coaching staff got to dissect and come up with a game plan, not only to help win the game, but to help Josh Allen, but not tell him what to do. So that's how I'm looking at it, Mark. So you don't think Josh Allen knew that going into the game? As a coaching staff, I'm not about to ch- – if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Gotcha. So he, he, even, those, he, even though he's been holding the ball, we still were sitting at 9-3. and three. So why well, I'm going to change that. But as a coaching staff, as a coaching staff, okay, let's change this considering who we're going against and what they like to do. They like to get to the passer, and that's our quarterback. So my call is now when it comes down to pass-related, they're going to be three-step drops or they're going to be quick throws. Gotcha. Pittsburgh has registered at least one sack in 55 consecutive games. That's the longest in regular season franchise history. Ike, let's go to Pro Bowl. Tonight, the league will announce who makes the Pro Bowl rosters. 88 players, 44 from each conference. That'll be at 8 o'clock Eastern time tonight on the NFL Network. The league announced the top vote getters. This was the vote was done by the fans, which counts for one third for the determining factors of which players actually make the Pro Bowl. The leading vote getters at their respective positions, there were several Steelers players, including Marquise Pouncey, Cameron Hayward, TJ Watt, Devin Bush, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Tyler Matt Takavich on special teams. So Ike, I just wanted to say I thought all of those players were deserving of a selection. I think you could throw in a Bud Dupree. I think Joe Hayden could also be in the mix. I know a lot of alternates also get named. Certain teams are in the postseason or, you know, in the Super Bowl. And some players decide not to go to the Pro Bowl. It'll be in Orlando this January. So my city. Yeah. Where where you're at. But I, I thought of the leading vote getters by fans at each of the positions. I'll run through them really quickly again. Pouncey, Hayward, Watt, Bush, Fitzpatrick, 
and Matt Takavich on special teams. I think every single one of those players is deserving, especially considering how well Pittsburgh has played on defense this season. No, I agree. I'll put Joe in there. I'll put Joe because Joe, Joe has been the closer. Joe Hayden has closed out a few games this year where, to the point where these teams were, was either trying to get momentum and he got a pick or this was the last drive and he got a pick. So when you start to have late surges, like Joe, you got to consider because finishing off the season, you know, you get into playoff situations or scenarios, and, and Joe has been doing it now consistently for the past two years for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Bud, Bud is playing outside of his body, you know, but saying that, you know, we've been looking, we, for like a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, has been looking, been waiting on this from Bud Dupree. You know, so Bud finally is playing the way that we all thought he should play. And right now, that's a Pro Bowl. That's on a Pro Bowl level. So, yeah, I think those guys are getting in. I don't know if they're going to get in um, off of the first or by default, somebody just having to sit out. But I think I still think those guys are getting in. Um, at the same time, everybody you name, I think, should get in from door number one because those guys have been playing like Pro Bowl guys this year and they're the guys we seem to talk about week in and week out is there anyone else on the Steelers team I I tried to look through the roster and everything look through some of the stats I I think other than the guys that we mentioned those would be the ones that would be deserving to be to go no the guys you name they deserve they deserve other than that no I'm not gonna be a a fan and say so and so the guys you name has been consistent throughout the course of this 2019 season, and they deserve to be in the Pro Bowl, Mark. Before we get to listener questions, let's talk about my bookie. It's an exciting time for sports. Sophomore sensation Lamar Jackson is redefining what it means to be a dual-threat quarterback. Odds on Jackson to win the MVP race were at 50-1 to 1 to begin the season and have plummeted since, making my bookie's prop selection more attractive than ever. Then on the 14th, We have one of the most stacked UFC cards in a long time. Three championship fights, all highly anticipated, right in the betting capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada. Without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action. And we have the best place for you to go, my bookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. My bookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. If you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra 1,000 in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code BLV to get your extra cash from my bookie, bet, win, get paid. Ike, I want to go to listener questions now. Christopher writes, can you talk about defensive end Stefan Tuitt and what maybe the defense would be like with him? Ike, to me, this just builds on the case of Mike Tomlin for coach of the year. We've mentioned Le'Veon Bell leaving, Antonio Brown leaving, playing for a vast majority of this season without James Conner, Juju Smith-Schuster's injuries, Big Ben, 
you know, all going all the way down to Duck Hodges with your four string quarterback without Marquise Pouncey for two games. To me, this just builds on Mike Tomlin's case for coach of the year playing without yet another starter, a guy we haven't really mentioned all that much on this podcast. Yeah. If you looked at last year, you kind of said Stephon Tua had a better season than Cam. If you want to talk about stats and how productive Stephon was last year, he, he had a real good season last year. That's the depth you have. So, you know, Hargrace, Hargrace is having a real good season right now so far. So don't forget, man, that we said this earlier when we started this podcast, Pittsburgh have a lot of first-rounders and second-rounders sitting on that defense. And you can go down the line. So, Stephon Tewitt is a second round. Cam is a first round. TJ and Bud Dupree are first rounds. Devin Bush is a first round. Joe Hayden is a first round. Audie Burns sitting on the bench is a first round. Minkus Fitzpatrick is a high rounder. Edmonds, he's a first rounder. So, man, we talking about first rounders. <laughs> like, we talking about like nine guys sitting on that defense. Also, my D tackle, 94, what's his last name? He's a first-rounder from Jacksonville. Tyson, uh, uh, I can't say his last name, uh, Alua. Uh, Alua. 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 So they got number first-rounders on that defense. So, yeah, I expect that defense to play the way they have been playing. So thank you for Christopher for that. And to it, we'll miss the rest of the season with a torn pectoral muscle as well. Let's get to the next listener question. Steel City Jess, she wrote this in on our iTunes page. She says, love the show. Ike does an exceptional job on the podcast, but I'd rather have him suit up for a game. Still one of my most favorite players. Appreciate it. So thank you for, for that, Steel City Jess. Always like giving people shout outs. As always, we always leave our social media handles in the show notes. So if you want to reach out to us, we love bringing in listener questions, comments, it makes the show better. It's fun to hear from you. It's fun to interact with you. And so thank you for that. But you can get this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. So iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Luminary, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcasts as well. And if you want to become a presenting sponsor or an advertiser of the Believe in Steelers podcast with Ike Taylor and Mark Bergen, please contact the Believe Podcast Network at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. Ike, let's go to good call, bad call. I want to start with good call. I'm feeling good this morning. I want to give a shout out to the Edmonds brothers, the first trio of brothers to appear in the same game since 1927, and shout out to the Edmonds family. I saw Mama Edmonds was in the, in the stands, and they're both wearing both Steelers and Bills gear because uh, two – of the sons, Trey and Terrell are on the Steelers and Tremaine Edmonds on the Bills. But I thought that was just a really, really cool moment during Sunday night football to see their entire family at Heinz Field together. They got some good DNA going on over there, man. That's a goddamn mutated family. When, when, you, when you have three boys, you pop out three boys and all three boys playing on Sundays <laughs> professionally, man, something good going on in that household. But, you know, <laughs> hey, don't forget that one thing I do know, Coach Tomlin loved his Virginia boys. I will say this. He loved his Virginia guys. 
But um, man, how does it feel to be a mom, to have three sons and all three sons, one playing in one game, but at the same time, on the highest level for football, they on that stage. So I can only imagine how proud she is, one, as a family, two, just as a mom, having three sons sharing that moment. You know what I'm saying? And to wear gear from both teams, too, because as a parent, you're not supposed to have a favorite kid either. But you do. <laughs> right? I hate to say it. You do. I, and and I get this from the grandparents. Because grandparents say it all the time, like, you're my favorite grandson or granddaughter. So basically, you're telling me, grandma, grandpa, you have a favorite child. So say. That's, that's just how it is. That's just how I go about it, Mark. I thought that was a really great moment from Sunday Night Football. Let's go to Bad Call. Ike, I thought we were going to be talking about the Cowboys coin toss fiasco. Right. And the league stepped in and they overruled that Dak Prescott said defer. So the Cowboys did receive the ball in the second half. This was a huge deal online for 30 minutes. If you didn't see this or hear about this, it's because it didn't happen. But at one point, it looked like the Cowboys were going to kick off in both halves in their game against the Rams. Ike, I've never seen this in the NFL before. I did a little bit of research. I found that it happened to the North Carolina Tar Heels at the college level in 2013. And then the Texas Longhorns did the same thing in 2014, where they kicked off in both halves. But especially considering the pressure that Jason Garrett's under in Dallas right now, But then the Cowboys went out and absolutely walloped the Rams. And so the NFC East coming down to the wire between the Cowboys and the Eagles. But I thought we were going to be talking about that. I think you could mention the failed wildcat formation with uh, James Conner and Deontay Johnson. It led to a fumble, one of Pittsburgh's five turnovers. But I want to go back to the face mask call on Tremaine Edmonds. There's 2.23 left in the second quarter. Now, the refs went back and called the penalty on someone else, but they're showing the replay of Edmonds, who was flagged for a face mask penalty, and it clearly was not there at all. And the penalty was changed to – it was given to Kevin Johnson, one of the cornerbacks. That's why everyone was confused. I would love to see a replay to see if Johnson – did in fact commit that penalty. It wound up not mattering because Pittsburgh fumbled the ball away anyways. But it was one of those things where they're calling a face mask on this guy and they're showing the replay. And it's like, Edmonds wasn't even close. Like, Mark, and this is our second time bringing up one of these topics by a referee. And the league will come back the next day and say they messed up the call. You're playing with house money. You're playing with livelihoods. You're playing with scenarios, especially around this time during the season. It can go from getting in the playoffs to going home early and a lot of people getting cut, a lot of coaches getting fired, kind of so say. So these guys should be graded as well. You know, I don't know how we're going to do the grade system, whether you're going to do the players, the coaches, or just the coaches grade these referees as a unit every week because we get great <laughs> every game we get great or have so, like a third party do it so someone who's completely impartial 
correct. Have somebody just 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 grade. And for the most part, I think the coaches they'll be honest about it. Well, I would hope the coaches would be honest about grading referees, you know. And like you say, just have a system where a third of a third of a third or a fourth of a fourth of a fourth. You probably have two people or two organizations who's in the league, and then you probably have two who's out the league but knows what to do or, or what to look for. Probably some college coaches or or coaches who me or referees or referees who up and coming like and they can be like anonymous but just great you know so get some kind of panel going on because man you playing with house money man people get cut off of records and records could be in the hands of a call throughout the game or if you want to take this to even the next level I always go back to the last year's NFC championship game between the Rams and the saints and the missed call of the pass interference. And it led to, Oh, okay. Now you can challenge a pass interference, whether it's right. called or not. And it's a complete sham. When coaches challenge that we've seen time and time and time again, unless it's an egregious call, the refs stick with what's on the field. And that rule I, I hope they do away with it. That rule has been a complete sham when a coach can challenge whether a pass interference penalty was called or not. And it was in complete reaction to a, a horrible missed call. But more often than not, refs are going to get it right. Or at least like you say, Ike, if they're decisive, you can live with that at the end of the day. Again, we, I, I said this several weeks ago. It just seems like whenever I watch football now, whether it's college, NFL, whatever level, I'm just sitting there and it, and it just completely disrupts the flow of the game. And it's just like, are we even watching action? Or are we just watching replay reviews? It's ridiculous. It's not life, Mark. Everything ain't going to be perfect. Like, let's not try to put football in the bubble and make it perfect and get every call right. Like, just because, and, I, and that has a lot to do with social media. It, it wasn't like this before social media. Agreed. Social media has a social media has a lot to do with these new rules. Sean Payton, I call that the Sean Payton rule, the pass and the fairness rule. That's the Sean Payton rule. They're human, so yeah, they're going to mess up. And as hard as we be on them on the show sometimes, Mark, on making some of these bad calls, that's just how it's going to be sometimes. You know, unless you start getting referees to be robots. Well, they did that in baseball, Ike, and people are still mad about it. They've done that at the minor league level with balls and strikes to where it's a designated zone and people are still mad about it. It's like, I want the rest to do a good job. I think they can be graded, but realize they're human and they're, you have to account for once in a while, there is human error it's Correct. something that I can live with, though. It's like, what did they do decades ago when they didn't have replay review and everything could be slowed down in slow-mo? I'm all for getting the call correctly, but when I'm sitting there and watching call after call after call replayed and reviewed, and in other sports, you could argue that it's almost giving a team an extra timeout that they might not otherwise have. Correct. There's got to be a better way than this, though. There has to be. I hate to say it. You just got to go back to the old school. 
You got to take these dang replays out of it, man. You're not going to get everything in right in life right. So why try to get everything in football right? It's going to, like you say, we still have missed calls with reviews. We still coming back on Monday after a Sunday game talking about, yeah, as a, as a, as a referee unit, we missed this call. So let's just clear the air. Let's just take everything out, man. Hey, man, if a referee misses a call, he misses a call. Oh, well, it's easy. If you're playing defense and you're looking for the ball, the referee is not going to call it. If you're playing defense and you're not looking for the ball, the referee is going to call it. Easy. It's that simple. I don't know if I would get rid of challenges overall, but the Sean Payton rule, I would get rid of. That whole, the fact that you can challenge the pass interference of whether or not it happened, and then we're seeing these replays in super slow-mo, and then the refs, again, typically, typically do not overturn what is called on the field. I don't know if that's a pride thing to where they don't want to admit fault or admit that they made a mistake, but it has not happened if you look at the big sample size of throughout this whole season when coaches have actually challenged that whether or not a pass interference happened the rest don't overturn typically what's called on the field. Again, if you're going to have that, at least admit when you're making a mistake with your ref. If a coach challenges a play where he thinks a pass interference happened and it was not called on the field and it's evident that it did, overturn it if that's what the, the replay evidence shows. And we haven't seen that this season. And again, I would have to go back again. The refs changed the penalty on Edmonds to the cornerback in retrospect. But again, we're talking about this and I get so fired up about it because it's one play. There just has to be a better way to do this. There has to be. I mean, they just need to go back to the old school. I think Mark and just, just take the replays out, man. Y'all, we've been trying year after year after year after year going back to the replay booths and going to New York and checking to see and, trying to confirm let's just take all the let's take all this out of it and let's just see with the human error how we do let's just see because the rule the rules ain't gonna change the rules is just this simple if your back is turned as a corner and you jump up and you're not looking for the ball the referee is going to throw the flag if you turn your head around that's all he's looking for if you just turn your head around and look for the ball they're not going to call it so it's just a matter of turning your head around or not turning your head around. You know, now if it's blatant and you're holding, of course they're going to call it. If you're, but if you're fighting for the ball and you become the wide receiver as a DB, they're not going to make that call. Face mask calls, it's easy. Whether you're going to get a five-yard face mask or a 15-yard face mask, depending on how long you hold the face mask for. From a quarterback position, if you're playing quarterback, if you're a defender, you know you got to stay away from the head of the quarterback or the knees of the quarterback. Like, you got to hit the quarterback either upper thigh or below the heart. So say, so you got that range to do it. It's not, it's, it's not that hard. You put it so simply. You put it so much simply that I can't. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's, it's not that hard, Mark, but I don't know. People don't get it. But, yeah, I'm trying to put it as simple as possible, Mark. Let's go to Taylor Talk now, and I see you've got your coffee mug, Ike. 
Top yeah, five baby. Christmas movies. I, I'll let you start because when we were talking about this before the show, your top Christmas movie, it makes my honorable mention category, but I'll, I'll let you have the floor. Yeah, there's really not too many movies I watch for Christmas. I'm a huge Grinch. I like the Grinch. I'm a huge Grinch fan. Of course, I grew up on him. But uh, The cartoon or the was it Jim Carrey? The cartoon and Jim Carrey. But I'm going to start off with the cartoon first. Jim Carrey, he played that role in The Grinch just as well. But, you know, my favorite all time is Home Alone. Okay. Home Alone. Home, Home, Home Alone's Alone. a good choice. Yeah, Home Alone made me feel real good staying at the crib by myself. Like, as a kid, just coming from where I came from, you know, you really did have to lock the doors and be careful. But watching that Home Alone gave me some kind of, gave me hope. Like, oh yeah, I wish somebody would. They're gonna catch all these coming up through that front door or the window. So Home Alone, man, it was just, just a kid being home by itself really gave me confidence on watching that movie on how to kind of take care of yourself in a couple of days. You, you got to grow up fast at a young age. I'm talking about he grew up in a couple of hours span. <laughs> like he had to protect his house within a couple of hours. He had to get grown a couple of hours and missing his family, Christmas spirit, everybody forgetting Kevin. And Kevin was kind of the black sheep now. Kevin isn't on the trip. They're wondering when Kevin and Dad is too late. They didn't caught the plane. Now they got to get off the plane. Can't wait for the plane to land to come back and, and get Kev. So it's just those moments and those scenarios that I like to see. But at the same time, Kev figured it out and he handled his business staying home alone. But yeah, that's one of my favorite. You know, it's like, it's like Kev was the Christmas gift. Everybody was looking for gifts and wanted to make Christmas special and Kev being the black sheep of that family, but Kev was that Christmas gift by the end of the movie. And I think it's hilarious when you watch Home Alone back, it's a movie without cell phones. Now you make a quick call on your cell phone and you'd call a neighbor or figure something out and the situation would be resolved. And that's cool. kind of the, you know, you get on a phone of some sort and you call your neighbor and say, hey, I left my kid behind. Like, how many siblings would you have to have? And here's the thing, too. Both parents, too. They, they have the great scene at the end where his, his mom comes in and gives him a hug after everything that he went through with the two robbers. But, like, I, I, I don't know. Home Alone makes honorable mention for me. I'll run through my top five really quickly. We can go back right, to Home Alone if you want to. It's a Wonderful Life is my all-time favorite. Jimmy Stewart, Frank Capra, it's a classic. I love Christmas Story 2. Ralphie, you know, getting the Red Rider BB, BB guns, fantastic. Third, I've got Christmas Vacation. At Chevy Chase, absolutely hilarious. A lot of slapstick humor, which I think comedy movies have kind of gotten away from. I then have Elf. I think Elf is the newest classic. Will Ferrell, uh, Zoe Deschanel in that one, too. I love Elf. And then at the five slot, if you count it, Die Hard. yippee Kaye. It's where Alan Rickman cut his teeth as the villain in that movie. Remember, Alan Rickman played Snape in Harry Potter. If Die Hard is, in fact, a Christmas movie, this is a debate. 
Die Hard gets my five spot. And then honorable mention would be Home Alone. If you don't count Die Hard, Home Alone gets the five slot for me. But that's my top five. Your thoughts? No. I mean, to each is a, hey, Mark, if that's your top five, man, rock with it. Rock with Die, Die Hard for sure is a, is a classic. One, one, I'm talking about all time movie classic. And Alan Rickman in that movie is the villain. Go back and watch that. He's fantastic. He is at least, you just absolutely hate him, which is exactly what you want. What do you want? Yep. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. With Home Alone, though, I, I don't know. I'll say this. I like the original better than, I know they had a couple different sequels. And then I know, didn't Macaulay Culkin not do some of, I think after two or three, he was not in any of the sequels. But I've watched, Home Alone was on TV the other night, so I, I was watching it. But I always just like what these Christmas movies pop up every year. And so let us know if you're listening what your top five are or your top three. There could be some that we're missing. This is always a fun debate with people year in, year out around this time of year, right, especially right. what you see on TV and everything. It, it's fun. So other than Home Alone, what uh, do you have any others that you like watching every year? Honestly, I kind of like just grew out of it. I, I, the Grinch, I love The Grinch. I do love the music in The Grinch. Fro Frosty, Frosty the Snowman. Like that Claymations? Probably, yeah, Frosty yeah. the Snowman is probably, <laughs> probably, probably number one for me. I grew up because me and my sisters, we just used to watch. Even around this time, and I'm a cartoon fanatic, so I'm a huge fan of Charlie Brown, you know, when it comes down. Yeah. So the Charlie Browns, the Grinches, the Frosty the Snowmans, the Home Alones, that's, that's what we grew up on. That's how we grew up. So I would say don't fall for me. Before we go, the Steelers play the Jets in week 16. Games on the road for Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh opens as a three-point favorite. Steelers' final two games on the road. Ike, anything else you want to get to before we sign off here? It's going to be a good one. I think, I think, honestly, the Pittsburgh Steelers will win the last two. I think they're going to stick with Duck Hodges. I think Duck just, you know, self-scouting or self-evaluating himself. He understands now and he sees now, yeah, you know, I suppose to sit in the pocket. But if I have a lane, I can throw on a run or run for a first down or a third and short. I think if he gets back to that, that's what made Duck up. Like, Duck wasn't – he can sit in the pocket and he can, he can dissect the defense. And if it wasn't there, man, he was able to make plays with his legs. That's something he got away from on Sunday night. So once he gets back to that, man, them boys got action. We'll see if the undrafted rookie out of Samford can get it done. For Ike Taylor, I'm Mark Bergen. Thank you so much for listening to the Believe in Steelers podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. We'll see you next week. So long, everybody. Peace. With the holidays just around the corner, now is the time to order holiday cards for family and friends. Only this year? Why not create custom holiday photo cards quickly, easily, and affordably at simplytoimpress.com. Simplytoimpress.com is your holiday photo card headquarters with thousands of unique Christmas cards and other designs to choose from. All you do is upload your family photos, personalize the text, and you're done. Simplytoimpress.com prints your cards on your choice of premium card stock in just a few days and rushes them straight to your door. Maybe that's why the New York Times wire cutter named Simply to Impress 
Express their favorite photo card service. They even offer foil cards and hundreds of great holiday card designs for your business, too. Place your order today to save 30% and get free shipping. Just enter promo code DEAL at checkout. Save big on holiday photo cards today using promo code DEAL at simplytoimpress.com. That's simplytoimpress.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.